0: Happy Tax Day to all who celebrate! Today we're going to be hearing about a woman who's going to get her tax issues resolved by some pretty unconventional accountants. There's nine of them, they operate out of Washington DC, and they all wear black robes. Can you guess who it is? Stay tuned! Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz, and I am definitely not an accountant, but I am going to offer you some tax advice. Pay your taxes. If you don't, you might wind up in the situation that Geraldine Tyler found herself in. She owed back taxes on her house, so the local authorities took it, sold it, and kept all the proceeds from the sale. So that means that because of a $15,000 debt, Geraldine, who's well into her 90s, lost all of the equity in her house, and the tax collectors made a nice profit. Seem unfair to you? Geraldine thinks so. And next week, she'll make that argument before the U.S. Supreme Court. Her attorneys are saying this violates the Fifth Amendment's takings clause. And check out our other SCOTUS podcast, Cases and Controversies, later this week, when we'll actually hear from those attorneys. Today, Bloomberg Law's Perry Cooper will be joining us. She's going to be covering those arguments next week, and she's going to lay out the stakes for us here, both for house-rich, cash-poor homeowners and for local governments. But first, I asked her to tell me the whole story behind how Geraldine got in this mess.
1: So Geraldine Tyler is a widow in her 90s. She had been living in a condo in Minneapolis, but she and her family got worried that the area wasn't so safe anymore. So she moved into an apartment in a senior living community not too far away, uh, and she stopped paying the property taxes on that Minneapolis condo. She racked up a bill of about $2,300, and then once Hennepin County added penalties and interest, that uh, went up to about $15,000, and the county gave her five years to pay or to set a payment plan up or to sell the property herself. Uh, But when she failed to do all those things, it sold the property for $40,000. And so that difference between the $15,000 tax bill and the $40,000 sale price is what's its issue. She says that the uh, county violated the Constitution by not giving her the difference.
0: Right. So, I mean, just so so we're all on the same page. She's not challenging the county's right to take her house. Uh, She's challenging the county's right to sell her house for way more than she owed and then keep the difference.
1: That's right. And this is the practice in about a dozen states now that uh, allow the government or a private company to keep that difference.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I I didn't realize how widespread this was in the states where it's allowed and how small the tax bill can be. Her attorneys in their petition to the court said that there was one case in Michigan where someone lost their house over $8. Make, Make the argument for me as to why people should lose all of the equity in their house even if their tax bill is very small.
1: So again, the county stresses that she could have sold the property at any time. And if during those five years she'd sold it, she probably would have made more than the county made in the foreclosure process, could have paid off the tax debt, and the rest would have been hers. And there's no allegation here that she wasn't given notice, that she didn't know how to pay her tax bill. She didn't know it was due. So this isn't a due process issue, which is often often comes up in, in tax sale cases. The states say that the Supreme Court has recognized that the states have a sovereign right to impose tax policy and that every state, every county does this differently. And it would just be unworkable for the court to impose a one-size-fits-all rule all across the country.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, when you think of property taxes, you think of it at the really local level. You usually pay your property taxes to the the county, if not the state. Um, So it sounds like that's their argument here, that this is something that You know, is typically left to us. We should decide how we want to do this.
1: Pretty much that, you know, if if this is a problem that the Pacific Legal Foundation, which is the group bringing these suits, wants to tackle, they really should be going at it at the legislative level. This is something that states and localities need to fix on their own rather than the Supreme Court.
0: And just to get into Geraldine Tyler's specific situation, do we know why she didn't pay her tax bill or decide to sell the home to, to pay the tax bill? Do we have any... Because it it seems like, you know, that's one of the big arguments from the county is that they're saying that she could have done this at any time and just settled this and been done with this. Why... Do we know why she didn't do that?
1: I don't have an answer for that. I'm not sure that it's ever really been explained in the briefing. Um, but one thing I did think was interesting is that Hennepin County makes the point that even if she had gotten the proceeds from the sale, she still had a mortgage on the property. She still had a lien for homeowners association fees she wasn't paying. So it's not like she was going to take home that excess money. She was going to have to pay it to somebody. I see. Um, So there's also an argument that, you know, there are these cascading liens, that all these other groups are waiting for money and that it goes to the state instead of to them.
0: That makes sense. So it's a lot, it's a little bit more complicated than just, you know, she should have sold and and gotten the money from the house. Um, I'm wondering though, if the county's uh, position here, if the county wins the day, that kind of creates some weird incentives for local property tax collectors, because that means that uh, local governments could profit if people miss their tax bills, um, Something about that just doesn't really sit right. What do you think about that? Is that an argument that the the Pacific Legal Foundation is making, that counties shouldn't profit from people missing tax bills?
1: Yeah, they've made the argument that the counties are getting a windfall from these situations. Um, But the county and their supporters say, look, there are also weird incentives if uh, the court changes the policy, because what, homeowners just sleep on their rights, they don't pay their taxes, they don't proactively try to keep their properties And then the county acts as their real estate agent, sells the property for them and just hands them the proceeds. And so, um, you know, they really don't like this windfall concept because they say, you know, they're doing everything they can to keep people in their homes and that it's a real burden on local governments to have to deal with these vacant and abandoned properties. They have to make sure that they keep the lawns mowed and uh, make sure that they're not becoming blighted areas.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there are a lot easier ways to get a real estate agent than not paying your taxes and having the county take your home and sell it for you and then, you know, give, your, give you your proceeds back. Um, what did the lower courts say here? I know that uh, there are some disputed um, arguments here about whether there is a lower court split. What's going on? Do, do lower courts or, or uh, appeals courts have had different views on this?
1: It really is a question, a, a creature of state law, and every law at issue is different. But a lot of what the other the lower courts have focused on is this 1956 Supreme Court opinion in Nelson versus City of New York. And there the court said there's nothing in the federal constitution that prevents states from keeping the proceeds as long as they're making sure the homeowners are given due process. So maybe this is a sign the court wants to revisit that 80-year-old case or they want to distinguish it. And it is distinguishable, um, at least Tyler's attorneys would argue, because we're talking about New York law versus Minnesota law. um, And that law in particular had a mechanism for the homeowner to request the surplus after the sale happened. So as soon as they found out there was going to be extra funds, they could say, hey, give that money back to me. And that's not part of the Minnesota law.
0: Yeah, so that's really interesting that, you know, the fact that the court is even taking up this case at all is a signal that it seems like maybe they do want to revisit this uh older precedent and maybe even overturn it. Um what sense do you get about how the court could come down here? I think you know, I I'm glad I'm not the I'm I'm glad I'm the one asking the question. And you're the one answering because this seems like a really tough question. This is not a partisan issue. There's no necessarily you know, liberal or conservative uh, valence here that could make it easy to predict. What do you think? I mean, where do you where do you see the justices coming down?
1: It's been interesting because this case has drawn support from a lot of groups that are not usually on the same side. It's in Supreme Court cases, groups that don't usually see eye to eye. You've got consumer groups like Public Citizen and AARP on one side. And they're making similar arguments to business groups like the Chamber of Commerce and libertarian groups like the Cato Institute and Americans for Prosperity. So it is an issue that's bringing together odd bedfellows. Um, But the Pacific Legal Foundation has really made a point of framing this as a property rights issue, that you have a property right in that equity in your home. And that's really something that's likely to resonate with the conservative members of the court. Uh, They've been very interested in recent years about protecting private property.
0: Do you think that we could see a situation where it's like a 6-3 decision and the conservative uh, members side with Geraldine Tyler for that property rights reason? And then we have the liberal members siding with the the county, the local government. Or do you think it could be an even bigger decision in in Tyler's favor?
1: Yes, I think it could be any of those things. (laughs) It's always hard to predict what the Supreme Court is going to do.
0: For sure. No, but I think that you're right. I was looking over some of the the amicus briefs for this case and, you know, they do not fall the way that you would think. It seems like the only amicus briefs that I was able to find, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, who were weighing in on the side of the county were other local governments. It seems like everyone else was kind of coming down on on Tyler's side. Did, Did you get that sense too?
1: Yes. Mostly local and state governments and groups that represent, you know, county land banks and treasurers and whatnot. And a couple of professors who say that uh, the counties are on the right side of the law. Oh, interesting. Hmm.
0: All right. Well, um, wrapping up before we we head out, when are the arguments here? When when should we, can people tune in?
1: The argument is next Wednesday, April 26th, and uh, we'll still be able to live stream from the Supreme Court.
0: So anyone who wants to can tune in and see how the arguments go. And uh, uh, I know you'll be tuning in, if not uh, attending in person, Um, maybe after the opinion comes down, we can have you back on and you can tell me all about it.
1: That sounds great.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Perry. Thank you, David. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter and our executive producer is Josh Block. Don't forget to check out our other podcast, Cases and Controversies, later this week for more discussion of this case. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of
1: that's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.